Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the sixth and final episode of the Spill the Cup podcast. Once again, my name is Edgar Chavero alongside my co-host, Jonathan Acosta. How's it going, guys? And for the first time in a month, we have no games to preview. Dude, I'm so sad. World Cup withdrawals are real, bro. I've been playing so much FIFA to make up for it, and I don't think I can play enough FIFA to make up for it because there's just that that vacuum left, the, the, the hole in your heart of no World Cup games. Gotta wait for... Not even four more years, four and a half more years because Qatar is going to be in the winter. So, ay, ay, ay. Not even the same. Playing FIFA isn't even the same. It's not. It's not. We wanted to do this recap episode a couple days after the finals just to let the results sit. France, World Cup champions. I don't think too many people can have a complaint about that, honestly. Probably the most talented team at the tournament. What do you think, Jonathan? I think coming into the tournament, a lot of us felt that France was one of the big four favorites and that just on paper they had the most talent. We didn't know if it would come together, but we definitely felt like they had the talent to do it. And then throughout the course of the tournament, we just saw that talent win out. I thought their most challenging game in terms of playing against similar level of talent was Belgium. And that was the tightest game they played. The 1-0 went off the set-piece goal from someone Umtiti. And then once I they got against came into the game against Croatia, I think especially in that second half, you just saw their overall talent went out. They won a World Cup final with 38% possession, yet still scored four goals. Shows you how clinical they really were. Clinical, a great finish from Pogba, a great finish from Mbappe. Some people will say there was a dive that led to that first goal, but still, it, it wasn't a dive that led to a penalty. It was a free kick. We saw the deficiencies that Croatia's had all tournament long in terms of defending set pieces. They gave up two set-piece goals in the first half off the free-kick own goal and then the penalty with Antoine Griezmann. And those are goals that you can't concede against a team that was as talented as France. Again, their talent at goalkeeper, in defense, in midfield especially, Conte and Pogba, and then going forward with guys like Griezmann and Mbappe. I don't think there was any team in this World Cup that was going to end up beating them. France didn't drop a single game the entire tournament. Their only tie was a 0-0 tie against Denmark. And really the way that Deschamps was able to gel that team together. You talked about kind of this lopsided 4-2-3-1 formation with Matuidi giving that extra defensive help on that left side. I maybe would have liked to see Dembele, uh, a Fakir. He was really impressive when he came on. But really, when you're when you're bagging four goals in a final, you can't, you can't complain about offensive talent. I thought Deschamps did a great job of managing that team. They did a great job of playing for themselves, playing for him. They really knew what they wanted to do. I saw a video came out, a couple of the French players halftime talk in the middle of that game against Croatia, mm-hmm. and they really were just looking at themselves saying, hey, we can do better. It really seemed like they had the mental strength and the quality. Past versions of France have been a great collection of talent. This was a team with talent. They definitely played as a team, and I think they vindicated Deschamps' um, tactics and strategy. A lot of people, both in France and outside of France, criticized Deschamps for kind of having a Ferrari that he wouldn't drive past the speed limit. Well, there's no reason to drive past the speed limit if you're already driving faster than everyone else. And that's what this France team was. They they were already better than everyone else. There was no need to have them be so exposed at the back. Shore up that back and you already have the talent going forward and w- which you can be clinical enough to take your chances and beat teams that way. And that's what they did. And then once you add that second star to the French crest, 
there's no one that's going to be criticizing you because that's the ultimate goal in winning the World Cup. And like you said, they had so many great performances all around the pitch. I was really impressed with the way Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard were almost able to be the best two fullbacks in the tournament. And they're center backs at their clubs and came in. I think Lucas Hernandez or Benjamin Pavard would have been great to be on the official FIFA um, 11 for the tournament. Neither of them made it, but both of them would have been solid choices. Pavard scored that stunner against Argentina, and Lucas Hernandez was great defensively all tournament long. And then for them, you have Kylian Mbappe taking home a young player of the tournament honors. Maybe some people would feel that he kind of got robbed a little bit of the golden ball. I don't have a problem with Luka Modric winning it. I think he was, for almost the entirety of the tournament, with the exception of that last game, probably the most influential player for any team. The way he really knit them together, springing balls forward. Especially a Croatia team that played higher than what their expectations would say they would have gone. Luka Modric being not just the engine that drove it, but the captain, the on-field leader, the heart and soul of that team. I thought he more than deserved the the golden ball. The irony of it being that it's the second straight LM10 from the World Cup final losing team to win the golden ball after Messi won it last year. I mean, in the last World Cup. You had Thibaut Courtois edge Hugo Lloris in the... Golden Glove, in the Golden Glove. I, which I thought Lloris would have had it, except he had that horrible mistake that allowed Mansukic to score that goal. The goal ended up being inconsequential in terms of the of the result of the final, but I still thought Joris had a decent to good tournament, um, but Courtois definitely was forced into making some bigger time saves, especially that Brazil game. That Brazil game was arguably one of the best performances from any keeper in the whole tournament, and I thought that's what uh, solidified Courtois' spot um, as a Golden Glove, especially that good performance against England as well, so I didn't have a problem with Courtois winning it. Either although going into the final, I would have thought Joris would have been the favorite for it. I probably would have liked to see Joris win it just because I thought he was the more commanding of the two keepers. Courtois in the earlier rounds kind of got into a war of words with uh, Jordan Pickford. Had a couple mistakes himself too. Let's not forget that. I know Yoris's mistake will be highlighted because it was in the final. It almost let Croatia back in the game. But I think Yoris really cemented that back four very well, acting as a leader. Not saying that Courtois didn't do that. But, but you're right. Jody's being the captain and everything. He's kind of the leader from the back for France. Kind of like that veteran presence on a pretty young team. So I, I, I get what you're saying. Jody's was influential in terms of the overall dynamic of the whole team going forward. Not to mention the buggy eight. Yes. Not to mention. You, you said that that was very – could sure won MVP of the tournament for that, right? That's we, – we've got our own – we've got our own category set up for you guys today. <laughs> uh, we'll start off with some regular ones, then make our way over to – some more whimsical categories. Right. But definitely my funniest jeer of the tournament, my funniest moment was Hugo Lloris. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I can't get over it, honestly. I can't get over it. It was in the first, like, 15 minutes of the match, too. Oh, was it a grasshopper? Oh, I, I, unknown Russian species bug. <laughs> one, of, one of those things that they have flying around over there. I'd say the funniest one was probably Michi Batshuayi's Scott Sterling oh. moment where the <laughs> ball just bounces off the post and smacks him right in the face. Um, Like, not just... Funny, but that's just got to be embarrassing. You take a ball straight off the woodwork to the face in the World Cup and everyone sees it, calls you Scott Sterling. I don't know how you live that one down. Those are two good ones, honestly. Match of the tournament, Jonathan? Match of the tournament, ooh. Um, France-Argentina was very exciting. Belgium-Japan was very exciting, but I still got to go with Portugal-Spain. Just the 3-3 tie, the back and forth. Portugal takes the lead. Spain comes back with two more. Then... Portugal, and then Spain, and then Portugal. I, 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 it was fantastic. Um, we, we had two fantastic goals in that one. The Nacho goal, probably one of the best 
goals from the tournament. Then Ronaldo, obviously, the 87th minute of free kick to tie it up. I just thought there was so much action in that game. It was early on in the tournament. The tournament really needed a game to kind of bring it to life, and th that's what this game provided. Two Iberian rivals right next to each other. You have the European champions versus uh, the team that's won three major tournaments in the past 10 years. Uh, I thought it was everything that the World Cup needed at the moment, and in my opinion, it still ended up being the most exciting game of the whole tournament. I definitely enjoyed that one, but when match of the tournament comes to mind, I really have to decide between two. You mentioned Belgium and Japan. That one had everything in it and another match where you could have gotten the goal of the tournament from you had Inouye's bullet strike past Courtois then you had the team goal at the end to win it by Belgium that game had honestly everything I wanted I was on the edge of my seat the entire way another match which I loved which a lot of people can forget about was that Serbia Switzerland match in the group stage 2-1 really mm -hmm. the two goals from Grani Xhaka and Jordan Shakiri to win it right at the end, that one was an a lot of controversy in that one too with their Albanian with their celebrations. Flag celebrations We've seen a lot of controversy in terms of heritages and geopolitical yeah. controversy and stuff like that. But you're right, an excellent 90th minute finish right there too. Shakiri right on the counter attack uh, at the death in that game to win that game too. I honestly think that's my match of the tournament right there. A lot of people overlook it, but definitely a good one because it was two teams that defended soundly the entire way but at the same time really showed their ability to go and forward. And they knew they needed to win because they had Brazil in that same group, so that was a crucial game for both of those two teams. Talking about controversies and political issues off the field, I think that ties into my biggest disappointment of the tournament, which I think we can agree would be Germany's crashing out you know, in the group stage so early. A lot of, a lot of finger-pointing coming out of the German camp after. You see the German president of the association come out and say that they might have, they, it would have been a better idea to drop Ozo and Gundogan from the tournament because of the picture that they took with the Turkish president. With Erdogan. You also have the the kind of issue of the split of the the white Bavarians on the German team plus the Turks. The thing was the, the players of Turkish descent like um, Gundogan and Ozil were part of a crew that included Leroy Sané who was dropped from the squad, a lot of people thought that that wasn't correct. I just felt like there was a lot of internal turmoil with that German team that they weren't able to overcome. You even look at a team like Spain, who they were at least able to make it out of the group stage with firing their coach on the eve of the tournament. I thought Spain, Argentina, two other disappointments of the tournament, but you're right, Germany has to be the main one, just not being able to make it out of a, a group that even coming in, you saw maybe Mexico, but you didn't think the group was that strong because if we look at last World Cup, Spain bounced out being the World Cup champion, but they had Chile and Netherlands in that one, two teams that we consider to be very strong. Mexico, Sweden, South Korea, you would have thought the Germans would at least make it in second place. So to not be able to make it out of that, a huge, huge disappointment. On the other hand, biggest surprise of the tournament? I'd say it has to be Croatia. Croatia making the final. I think at the beginning of the tournament, if someone told you Croatia was going to make the final, you probably would have looked at them a little funny. You're like, oh, I could see them making round of 16, quarterfinals. But if you looked at the bracket, they're supposed to have Germany on that side, Argentina on that side, Spain on that side. And again, Croatia being a country of 4 million people, like you just didn't expect that out of them. If they had ended up winning the whole thing, they would have been the second smallest country to ever win the whole thing. We looked at them as a team with a lot of potential, uh, a great midfield, but the defense wasn't one of the best defenses in the world, per se, coming in. The attack had players like Mandzukic and Perisic, but again, there were other more star-studded lineups, like the Germans, Brazilians, Argentinians. So for Croatia to be able to 
to overcome all of that and battle through adversity, go into extra time in all of their three knockout stage games before the finals. I thought it said a lot about that team. And I thought it's a performance that their country will be very proud of them for years to come. I don't want to take anything away from the Croatians. Of course, they were a great surprise. But I feel like soccer fans weren't as astonished because we know why they were so good. Because they have guys like Luka Modric and Rakitic that can boss that midfield. For me, my biggest surprise of the tournament was the hosts. Russia beating Spain in the round of 16. I thought that was huge. Um, that, that, that game nobody saw coming. That would have set up Croatia and Spain. And who knows if Croatia gets past Spain on that point. It, it definitely helped Russia to get the tournament off on a good note with that 5-0 shellacking of Saudi Arabia. Because if we remember, they'd come in on very poor form in the friendlies leading up to the World Cup. They didn't have to go through World Cup qualifying, so they went through friendlies. And I remember specifically watching a game they played against Austria about a month before, no, not even a month, about two, three weeks before the tournament started. Very poor. You didn't see how they were going to generate goals or anything. All goals flooded. Again, Saudi Arabia. Put in five goals. Denis Sheryshev comes in for, I think, an injured Alan Zagoyev, who had been the star of Russia in Euro 2008, I believe. Comes in, bags two goals. Golovin in a driving force in the midfield, laying off passes, scoring a beautiful free kick. And then from there, it was not smooth sailing for Russia because they ended up losing the last game of that group to Uruguay. You know, but very good performance and a performance that I feel like the country can be proud of. If you were told the Russians a quarterfinal performance in your home World Cup, they would have taken it because a lot of people didn't even know if they were going to make it out of the group because they had Egypt and Mo Salah in there too. So. And for me, you look at even the way they crashed out of the tournament. They lost on penalties to Croatia. Yeah. So they, they didn't even falter at that point. They played a great match. It was really entertaining. The penalties were great penalties. A good job to battle back in, the, in extra time. Go allow a goal in extra time, and then you come back, uh, set piece goal, Mario Fernandez, excellent header off a of free kick. So Russia definitely battled. They they definitely showed that they were at least giving it their all the entire tournament. Definitely showed a lot of their quality too. I think a lot of Russian players are definitely going to come under the radar now. Especially Golovin, Golovin, who I thought was one of the breakout stars of the tournament. You, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a nice contract with a big club now. We move on to the shout-out, the special shout-out of the tournament. Jonathan, what do you think for that one? All right, I'm biased here, but shout-out to my boy Jerry Mina. <laughs> Three goals for a center back for Colombia. I mean, impressive. that's fantastic. He was Colombia's leading goal scorer on a team that has James Rodriguez, uh, Juan Fernando Quintero, Cuadrado, Falcao. Jerry Mina, one of the breakout stars of the tournament, which is weird to say because he plays for Barcelona. But even with that being said, like a lot of people didn't know about him, couldn't get that much playing time at Barcelona anyways. And what's he do? He comes into the World Cup and three huge goals, all three of them. The opener against Poland. Um, the game winner against Senegal, and then the goal against England to send it into extra time right in the third minute of stoppage time. I thought um, Jerry Mina had a fantastic tournament, and it was definitely a performance that um, I know gave Colombians a lot to cheer about, including myself. A little Colombian love. You can't you can't fault my boy Jonathan for, for shouting out Jerry Mina there. A little bit home bias, but is it, it's not even that much home bias because he definitely deserves it. My special shout-out goes to the Telemundo cameramen, the Fox Sports cameramen that would pan to all the beautiful women out there in Russia during the games. I know that FIFA told them to actually stop yeah, doing they, it they for the semifinals. They told them to stop doing it before or after the semifinals at one point. I don't remember, but I remember there was like a, a huge uh, thing about that. My only complaint is when they show it instead of the game. I hate when the ball's rolling and then you have pants that just random stuff in, on the side, on the uh, you know, in the crowd. I hate when that happens. And then they cut away from it and then half the attack has happened. Yeah, but... In the sense when there's nothing going on, hey, 
These are some good fans. You, you got you to show the fans because the fans are part of what makes the tournament what it is. I it mean, makes it special also. You get to see a lot of these people, how how far they travel, what they're wearing. What they're wearing, the face painting, just the pure passion because that's what the World Cup is. It's all about passion. So when you can capture the passion that the fans bring, that's it adds an extra dimension to what you're watching. It makes it not just a sporting game, but it makes it a sporting event. So maybe for the 2022 World Cup, they can find – a little medium to show to a, a good balance. Sh- yeah, to show to show some of these people in the stadium and not not piss FIFA off as much as they as much as they did. I'm there with you, bro. We talk about people bringing passion, bringing energy. That's what a coach has got to do. Give me your coach of the tournament. My coach of the tournament again, another kind of chalky pick, but how can you say anyone other than Didier Deschamps? I mean, when you win the World Cup and people are criticizing you coming into the tournament, remember that France had lost the Euro 2016 final at home in France to a Portugal team that... Without Ronaldo. Without Ronaldo for much of that final. That Portugal team was criticized a lot for the way they played. Not very proactive soccer. You lose that, then you kind of on the hot seat coming into World Cup. France have always been an up-and-down team in World Cups. You never know what you're going to get. Even once the tournament starts, remember they had that lackadaisical start against Australia. 2-1, didn't look really good. But as any good manager does, he has his team grow throughout the tournament. Um, sticking with his tactics, but also knowing when to adjust. Giroud didn't start that game. He had Mbappe, remember, starting in that striker role. He had Mbappe start that the game. First game well. of the tournament. Very first game. So what you do, he adjusts. He acknowledges how important Giroud is for his team. Inserts Giroud in that nine. Splits Mbappe out wide. Brings on a, a center mid and to the left. What to do? Gives the team more defensive solidity. It allows for balls up top that Giroud can knock down for Griezmann, which is really good at. And it gives Mbappe more space out wide for him to run on, run at defenders and use his blistering pace. And as we saw, we ended up with France winning the World Cup. So I think the tactical adjustments and Deschamps knowing what to do despite criticism from several in the media, I thought definitely uh, earns him the manager of the tournament. Award. Def- he definitely knew his team. He knew when to bring on a guy like Nzonzi late in the game. Or like you mentioned before, Nabil Fakir was good in his uh, cameos his as little well. cameos, he was great. And even in that final match, the decision to take off Kante, that's a bold decision. To take off pro- you know, arguably one of the best midfielders in the world. Knowing that he's sitting on that yellow card. But it was a good decision because Nzonzi came on, acted as that as the same shield that Kante would would kind of patrol. Did a great job in making sure that they, that they secured that lead. Went home with the trophy. Again, you talk about the importance of Giroud I, I feel bad for the big man almost because it's astonishing how how frustrating he could be again we're, we're here giving praise to his play at the same time he didn't have a shot on goal the entire tournament for a number nine and I, a lot of people are going to look at that and just get on his back for that it's, it's almost like the Sterling effect where I think Giroud and Sterling are just two players that are kind of misunderstood in the roles that they're meant to play granted they can be frustrating in the their lack of productivity in front of goal at times, but they're just so essential to the way their team plays that their value is sometimes hard to quantify with just goals. No, and especially Giroud, the luxury that France had to be able to just send a goal kick up to the big man where he would either chest it down to Griezmann, a nice soft touch with his left foot. I, you, Countless times he started attacks like that, did stuff like that. So, again, don't get on his back too much for the shot on goal. I, you know, yeah, He deserves a little bit better than that. World Cup champion. Goal of the tournament, Jonathan. Give it to me. Um, man, all right. So I'll have I have a few different goal of the tournament uh, subgroups, I'll say. I'll say team goal of the tournament obviously has to go to Belgium. Um, their counterattacking 95th-minute goal against Japan. I thought that was by far the best team goal 
of the tournament, only halfway matched by Uruguay's 1-2 between Suarez and Cavani for the first goal against Portugal. I thought that was a fantastic goal just all the way around. Individual goal, if we're taking context into consideration, I think it has to be the Tony Cruz goal against Sweden. Germany already on the ropes, having lost their first game. Tying against Sweden, not a great result. Basically, last kick of the game, free kick from a tough angle, and Cruz just bends that baby, bends it like Beckham, um, into that far post. A fantastic goal since all the Germans going crazy and everything. At that then, point, you really thought they could have used that to springboard them into the group. Yeah, stage. at that point, you're saying Germany's back. They're going to win their game against South Korea, and it's the Germans we've always known. They ended up happening that way, but at least with that goal from Tony Cruz, you felt like it could have been that way. But I'll say best individual goal, irregardless of context, is probably Benjamin Pavard against Argentina. Just a technique, ball rising on it, kind of gets under it, kind of like gives it a little bit of a backspin on it. You, you see it spin almost an infinite amount of times. It just makes its way past Franco Armani. Goal to tie up the game, I believe, at that point. I thought it was 2-1 Argentina and then France to just strike like that. Right after Argentina takes that lead via Gabi Mercado. Um, strike like back via the right back on a loose ball, edge of the box. A great hit. That's ties the deflating. game up. It really deflated, it deflated Argentina. deflated Argentina because you saw them push up and France just hits them for two more on the counterattack and it's a wrap. So I thought, all in all, I think that Benjamin Pavard goal is probably the most worthy of winning goal of the tournament. Well, he gave you like five goals. I'll give you, I'll give you one. I love Ricardo Caresma's outside of the boot strike against Iran. For me, that was just... Oh, you know, you I, I'm not taking away absolutely nothing from those goals. The fact that the technique was outside of the foot, over the keeper, from outside of the box, ridiculous for me. It, it looked, it actually reminded me of lot, a lot of the Sherishev goal against uh, Saudi Arabia in the first game. They just were from like opposite directions. Sherishev outside of the left, Quaresma outside of the right. Um, but very similar goals. That Quaresma one was a stunner. An absolute stunner. I love that one. For me, that one's got to go down as goal of the tournament. Simply, ugh, Portugal's bad boy got yeah. that one. <laughs> the J.R. Smith of Portugal. Last little award that we have. We talk about the fans. The fans of the tournament, Jonathan. Give me the fans that impressed you the most in Russia, that really got behind their team. Man, I mean, there was a lot of um, impressive ones. The England ones with the It's Coming to Home chant. I mean, that was... Granted, like a little bit annoying, but like you got you got to give him uh, give it to him that they were um, pretty good all tournament long. I thought the especially the South the Latin American fans. I'll, I'll just give them a, a general shout out as being the fans of the tournament. I thought they brought a lot of passion. We saw the Mexico ones starting from that very first game against Germany. Um, all the chants, um, El Chucky Lozano, uh, him bagging that goal against Germany. Um, they're fantastic. Colombia ones, Argentinian ones, caused they were fantastic. Caused an earthquake, supposedly, the Mexican fans. Yeah, exactly. Um, I thought the Peru ones might have been the best ones all tournament. Sad that they only lasted the group stage. But we saw even in, uh, I even saw something from, I think it was uh, my Tweety saying that their game against Peru yeah. was like playing in Lima. Just the sheer amount of Peruvian fans that made the trip to Russia, I thought it was very impressive and showed how much it meant to them of Peru being in their first World Cup since 1982. You kind of saw that passion from the fans. So I'll say Latin American ones, and if I had to pick one, I'd say Peru. Well, I'll give a little love across across the world to the Japanese fans. Pictures of them after their losses, after their wins, picking up trash in, their, in, in the crowd. That's unheard of. 
That's unheard of. And they even got the Senegalese to join in on it too uh, after their group stage match as well. So it just kind of shows you uh, the magic of the World Cup bring, being able to bring people together. They were class off the field, on the pitch. You could see their technical quality. Sh you know, it's shown through from the majority of the tournament, really. They did great getting out of that group, you know, with with Poland, with Senegal. You know, for the first time ever, it was on yellow card decisions. But, hey, they take it, and then they go ahead and put in a great performance against Belgium. Well, guys, it truly has been a pleasure to come to you with all this World Cup talk throughout the tournament. We've had so much fun just giving our takes on everything, giving our thoughts on all the, on all the great play that we've seen throughout the tournament. We'll definitely be seeing you guys again one way or another. Once again, I'm Edgar Trevero. I'm Jonathan Acosta. And, hey, World Cup's over, but there's plenty more soccer left to watch. you got Premier League. Champions League, FIFA Women's World Cup next year, Copa America next year. So make sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jonathan Acosta. Or not, I'm, my name's Jonathan Acosta. My at name is at John Acosta underscore 10. Edgar? At the Edgar Chavero. You can follow along for all, all of our hot takes throughout the Premier League, La Liga, and Champions League seasons. Uh, there will be plenty of stuff for you guys to roast us on for sure. You guys have a great day. Enjoy the rest of the summer. I love Derek Rose. <laughs>